This episode of Inside Acting is brought to you in part by VO2GoGo, the award-winning voiceover training system and winner of Backstage's Reader's Choice Award for Best VO Training four years in a row. Visit VO2GoGo.com slash start for a free getting started in voiceover online class that will help you add voiceover to your acting portfolio. That's VO2GoGo.com slash start. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 129 of Inside Acting, first episode of 2014. I'm your co-host, Trevor Elgott. And I'm your other co-host, AJ Meyer. And on this show, Inside Acting Podcast, to which you are currently listening, we interview actors and writers and filmmakers and directors and casting producers and agents and basically anybody in the industry that you might want to hear from and hear what their story and journey and unique insights are. We interview those guys and then put them on this podcast and stick it out there on the internet uh, pretty much every week for you. And on this episode, we've got the first part of a stellar, stellar interview with actor James Dumont, who just had a stellar year in 2013 yes, he did. and yeah. has a lot of great insight, both on the business and the craft side of things, um, which is something, as you all know, we don't tend to talk about too much, but we love having our guests come in and lay the smack down on the craft side of things. So uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fantastic uh, balls-to-the-wall, blow-your-mind type interview. So stick around for that. Yo! What up, 2014? What up? Uh, I'm going to soon start calling you that from now 2014. On. 2014. 2014, <laughs> I'll get. I like that, man. <laughs> sounds like you're a robot. It sounds awesome is what it sounds like. Yeah. We're, um, we, uh, we shouldn't... We shouldn't talk too much about goals up front because we've actually got it on a, a little. Oh yeah, yeah, we got a action. little prompt from one of our favorite listeners. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, we won't we won't go there too much. But uh, the last time that we, you and I, really sat down to talk was during the actors roundtable episode, which was probably like almost a month ago now. Yeah. Uh, not quite. More like three, three weeks. weeks but, three weeks. Yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, you had a a great meeting earlier this week. I think yesterday. Yeah, uh, it was you? yesterday. I had my first yeah. pilot audition yeah. of the of the season, which was cool. Brought in once again by the casting directors of Heather's. Um, again. <clears throat> so yeah. So which Wasn't was great that feedback. And um, the the EPAs for the New York uh, the New York run of Heather's are happening uh, this week and uh, in both uh, Los Angeles this week and New York next week. So waiting to hear on uh, what the deal is with that. Um, and for listeners who don't know, EPAs. Oh, sorry. Equity Principal Auditions. It's not the Environmental Protection Agency. I'm equally excited by the personal creativity, personal development stuff that I'm doing uh, to kick yeah. off 2014. You've been digging back into the right brain. Yes. I started The Artist's Way again, which I'm excited about. And I've been having all of these uh, breakthroughs in my morning pages and stuff. I had my, my favorite one so far um, has been because of our need to survive and our 
evolution and, and how our uh, bodies were bodies and minds were set up to 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 win in this environment and in our uh, respective cultures we're very left-brained by nature uh, we have an attachment to logic because when you detach from logic it doesn't support you like that that detachment from being practical doesn't support you in feeding yourself as a, as a human living in a cave you know um it requires a um a certain you know logic to get to get to find and get food etc 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 so um i i've discovered that um one of the things that keeps me in my left brain is a, an attachment to logic that things must make sense you know the morning pages the artist states the other tasks they're all supporting me and i'm what i'm what i'm really diving into right now is just being as illogical and wacky and fun and playful as i possibly can and that that will hopefully start to stimulate the um the neurons and and whatnot the synapses in the in the in the right brain that's what i'm up to right now creatively um it's a lot of fun and i'm really excited about where it will where it will take me take me next Yes. Cool. Yeah. I'm so glad that you're getting back into that. Like I said to you a little earlier, I just think it's, it's really awesome. You know, I think, I think most of us could use either a little more structure in our life or a little more loosey goosey kind of like creativity in our life. Um, and it's up to the individual to kind of figure out which one you could use a little more of, you know, but, um, it's always good to hear that people are like, yeah, I need a little bit more like blank canvas in my life to just doodle on my, my, who I am, my essence. I actually love this stuff. And, and that's part of my commitment for 2014. When we get to goals is my goal. One of my big goals is just fall in love with acting again. Awesome. Yeah. You fall in love with being, being an artist again. I've heard you say that a couple times over the past week or so. And that's, that's, uh, that's a really interesting, I don't know, thing to hear you say. I've never, I've never experienced you as being out of love with acting, but I think I instinctually know what you mean. It's more about, um, you know, the, the art of it and being an artist and not putting any judgments on that and, and whatever judgments this sensor was, I don't even want to say it's, it's me cause it's not, it's, there's something in the back of my brain that I'm exploring right now and whatever judgments it was having is what was keeping me from, uh, going to an acting class or reading a book on acting or, you know, really exploring who I am as an actor, what my emotional well contains, how deep and raw I can get, the various places I can go, practicing a scene by myself in front of a mirror because I just want to. Right. Like I just had all these uh, things that I've wanted to do but haven't and, and never really understood what was what was the holdup hmm. and I'm getting to mm-hmm. the, getting to the bottom of it and it's great. I'm, I'm having a great time and I'm, I'm just so excited for 2014. It's gonna be awesome. Cool, man. That's, That's great. Me. That's really great. Um, cool. what's, uh, what's up with, uh, with you, my man, you in, know, the, I, in the new year, I'm in a similar space. I went back to Philly, uh, and, um, didn't really open my laptop for like a week and a half. It was really refreshing. Um, I would just, I got the flu uh, while I was there, so I, my entire family got it all like within three hours of each other, and there oh, was God. only one bathroom in the house. We were kind of all taking turns puking throughout this one oh, night, oh and we all slept through God. the next day. It was weird. There's like a 36-hour chunk of my life that's just kind of like missing, minus like just massive amounts of vomit. <laughs> you were 
abducted by the by yeah, the flu. It was aliens. it was nuts. But but like but you know I was up in I was up at this lake up near Scranton, Pennsylvania, and then we went into actually the Philly, you know, the actual like city proper. And I stayed with my cousins, and then I went out to breakfast with some friends, and and I just made a point to reach out to people that I hadn't talked to in a while, and just find out what's new with them, and and just connect with human beings. And it was really it really opened my eyes to the value of changing things up every so often. And I think I get to do a lot more of that, just changing up the sensory input, like the stimuli in my life, like everything from like my physical surroundings to the music that I listen to, to the people that I talk to, just like changing it up and, 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 um, surprising my brain for, you know, for, for lack of a better way to put it. I think, um, it's very easy to just get stuck in routine. And I think there's immeasurable value in routine and ritual and things like that. But I also think we tend to get so mired in, in that stuff that it's like some, some philosophy, some ancient Greek philosopher said something like, like as soon as you find a a place to safely rest your head every night, you uh, essentially stop growing or stop living or something along Mm. those lines. The idea being that like, you've got to constantly be exposing yourself to new adventures. It's like your comfort zone. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, you know, just, I was in Philly, it was with family. It wasn't like I was out on my own and you know, but, but it was totally different sensory experience. And the fact that I was just really detached from technology. And that was something that was a goal of mine was to not be on my phone, not be on my computer, I just did a lot of time reading and I went for walks and I just spent time with the people in my life and I didn't have my phone even in the same room. And, uh, I, I it really like recharged me. It was just, a, it was like this, so such a nutritious experience for like my soul. If that, mm. I know that sounds super cheesy, but like, <clears throat> that's what it felt like. And I, I, I just felt really alive when I came back after that. And I just felt like I had a new lease on life. And it was just something as simple as acknowledging that, uh, the sensory input, the tactile feedback from my world, um, was different. Mm -hmm. And I think there's immense value in that. So that was, that was my big aha. And it's, it's similar to, to your thing. I think it's, it's similar to like opening up to the creative side of things and, and letting those experiences kind of flood over you and wash over you and, and have their effect. Yeah. It's, it's about, I feel like it's about getting off of automatic yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, for sure. There's a difference between ritual and autopilot. Yes. Yeah, and you I'm know. glad you're making that distinction cuz yeah, ritual can be really great. Yeah. When you go to bed tonight, when you brush your teeth, brush your teeth with the l- least dominant hand. So if you're right-handed, brush your teeth with your left hand. If you're left-handed, brush your teeth with your right hand. Tomorrow morning when you wake up, <clears throat> get out of bed on the side that you don't usually get out of bed on and put on two different socks. Like don't put on a pair of socks, like the same pair of matching socks and continue to do this for, I don't know, as long as it takes. The whole point is to get off of automatic and to be present to what, to everything, sight, sound, smells, you know, what, what it is that your automatic is, what you're used to. So when you brush your teeth with a less dominant hand, it might be, it might be frustrating, but you're having an experience. <clears throat> you can't help but be present. You can't help but be and present. And it's the most awkward experience using a different <laughs> right. hand. You're, you're like, just like, and stuff's <laughs> falling out of your mouth. And, yeah. <laughs> yes, do it over the sink, whatever you do. Yeah. Um, anyway, 
this kind of reminds me, it also reminds me of when you were saying about confusing the brain, or I can't remember the exact words that you used. Like surprising, essentially. Surprising the brain, yeah. It reminds me of um, uh, how, like, uh, personal trainers or people who are really fit or who work out a lot, they'll they'll change up their routine out of nowhere. Muscle confusion. Muscle confusion, yes. So this is brain confusion. (laughs) And now everybody's confused. (laughs) All of our listeners are like, I'm confused. I don't know what these guys are talking about. I feel like we have a lot of stuff to we get do. to. What should we go? Where should we go first? Let's uh, let's take on this voicemail from Mike. Or I'm sorry, this email first from Mike Bowers. Uh, his roommate got, booked a co-star role on How I Met Your Mother, which uh, a former guest of the podcast Woody Schultz uh, is, is a recurring uh, star. He's the bartender, on. <clears throat> yeah. yeah, he's the bartender yeah. in the bar there. Um, and uh, this this girl who's Mike's roommate uh, booked this co-star, and um, after either after she was done shooting or, or while she was shooting, she noticed that the casting office where she had auditioned was right next door to the set. And so, just on a whim, she just kind of wandered over there and was just like poked her head in and said hi and just like sp- talked to the casting director for a little while. And after they were done talking, the casting director said to her, "You know, it's really weird, but." I think you're like the first person that's ever done this. And I really enjoyed it. Thanks. Or whatever. Like said some, some complimentary things. So, uh, it, first of all, it just blew me away that no one had done that. Like that just blows my mind. Second of all, uh, I just wanted to like give kudos to this person for taking initiative and, and doing that and realizing that it's a relationship business and you're just going to say hi to another human being. It's, yeah. you know, for yeah. not telling herself any stories of like why she shouldn't do that. And then, uh, the third thing I, I, is it reminded me almost exactly of, um, something that I did when I booked my very first TV gig, which was Hannah Montana. I, I, I may have even talked about this on the podcast a long time ago, but I, I had pl- been planning on sending a postcard to Howard Meltzer anyway. And it said something on there like, oh, I'd love to like just pick your brain or whatever. And I handed it to him instead. So he comes on to set on the day that I was shooting and he was like, hey, when you're done shooting, pop on over to my office. And uh, I did. And he was like, uh, I just, you know, I saw that on your thing that you just said you wanted to like chat and pick my brain and stuff like, what's up? And I was like, I hadn't even gotten that far. <laughs> I was I was sitting there going, "Wow, I don't I didn't really have a plan. Like I didn't think anybody was going to mm-hmm. say yes to this." So, I said, "Uh, yeah, I mean, really it's just, you know, I I get that I'm just out of college. I'm kind of young. I'm a little bit green and I just wanted, you know, your professional opinion on how I'm doing and stuff." He literally pulled up my uh, profile on Actors Access. He gave me some pointers. He's like, "You should change this. This all looks good. You're doing the right things." He gave me some encouraging words and said, "and and thanked me for wanting to do that." And I went about so my way cool. and, and went back on set. It just it was it was really cool. And I just I, I I really acknowledge this person, Mike. If you could tell your roommate if she's not already a listener, that's just so awesome and, and a great reminder for for all the rest of our listeners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good on ya. <laughs> uh, and then we have a, a, a voicemail from uh, a patron, a recent patron of the week uh, and longtime supporter, Nathaniel Simons. 
Awesome. Thanks for calling, Nathaniel. Uh, awesome to hear from you, dude. I'll, I'll take on number two first. Uh, I don't know what happened to the Chuck Sloan interview. Episodes just seem to disappear uh, from time to time, so I guess I'll just dig into our account and see what the hell happened to it. <laughs> oh, it's so frustrating. It's like it's like you think everything's good, and then something... Uh, it's whatever. So yeah, sorry about that. I'll, I'll dig in and figure out where it is. What happened to it? Uh, we yeah we ha- we tend to have a surprise yeah. <laughs> every once in a while. Yeah, uh, but go- goals for 2014. Now, did he mean goals for you and I specifically, or goals for the podcast? It sounded like it was for us, and then at the end, he said, "If anyone could support us with inside acting." So I'm not hmm. really sure. Maybe we should answer both. But I, I I do have you know things in mind for both. Obviously, I have my own personal goals, but I you and I both. Um, and we kind of talked about it uh, on that call, that group, that masterminds call we were on last week yeah, about yeah. what what the goals for for the actual podcast were. But what are your goals for 2014? Your Me? acting career goals, like the giving like the 30 second version. Fall in love with acting again, and create one new meaningful relationship with someone in the industry every week. Wow! So that'll be 50 at this point, 51 new relationships. Mm-hmm. And is that, uh, that's, that could be anybody that could, could be, be a, anybody. a guest on the show. That could be a casting director. That could be an, another actor you meet and maybe they tweet up or something. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Awesome. Exactly. And my, 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 it's just about, um, setting up dominoes. Like we talked right, about the right. round table. Yeah, that's, I gotta that's thank how Brian I'm, for that awesome yeah. visual there. <clears throat> that's how I'm choosing to, uh, set dominoes this year. So cool. How about you? Cool. Yeah. Um, this year I, I'm really, I'm ready to work, man. I'm ready to like really work. So, um, you know, I'm going to go ahead and just declare, um, I'm going to go ahead and declare, I keep thinking two is a good number, but I think it's too small. Four co-star roles on major network primetime TV shows. Nice. And that's going to be me um, building those relationships, but more than anything, letting people know about my work. Um, you know, I'm doing Emily Grace's uh, Build Your Own Buzz course. Again, I kind of did it the first time, kind of half-assed it, so I'm really going to get into that this time. You know, I'm I'm writing again, so I'm working on creating some of my own content. I've got good news to share with them on the donor front and hopefully soon with Midnight Monster, you know, those two films mm-hmm. that I've worked on. So, um, yeah, it's about um, letting people know about my work and then and then working. Like, I'm, I'm just ready. I'm ready to work. I'm, awesome. I look at TV shows and I'm like, yeah, I'm ready. It's time. <clears throat> so that's, that's, my, uh, that's my main goal for 2014. Sweet. Main career, yeah. Sweet. Um, and, and the, uh, the theater podcast. ensemble. Well, the, the podcast, like we definitely have awesome goals for it. I know, I know my biggest goal is to build 
our biggest goal is to build a team. Yeah, and I think that's probably the one to talk about because he said, you know, just in case anybody can support us, it's about you know delegation and 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 really getting a like you said a team in place to to allow us to grow. Yeah, well, we've got a great technical <clears throat> producer on board, Cesar Gamino, who's who's doing a lot of heavy lifting for us. Um, I think we've got a great web guy on board. I, I don't want to declare, like announce it just yet. Cause I'm not a hundred percent certain, but it, it sounds like it's going to be a great relationship and that it's going to take a lot of the burden off of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, we're working on a social media expert to kind of work with us just, you know, very part-time, um, like minimal commitment. Um, but it's just, you know, spreading what has been one or two people's jobs over, th- over five people is huge so that'll free all of us up to do uh more better bigger stronger faster podcast Mm -hmm. stuff yeah that's my big goal for the podcast i mean we can talk about listenership and numbers but i i really i just i want to make it a a team effort well i I think that all of those i think the results are going to come from that yeah i think we're going to see you know um listenership double i think we're going to see bigger better uh badder uh, batter. <laughs> bigger, better, batter, uh, um, guests. We've got, you know, James, who's part of what will be, you know, some of the biggest Oscar contenders of, of the year. Um, like that, you know, people of, of, of that, their, their work is at that caliber. They're working with, you know, yeah. Steven Spielberg, which he has, they're working with, um, you know, Jared Leto, which he has, they're working with, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, that that sort of that level of of guest so listenership guests um and uh yeah just a, a expansion i i would also like to see us um <clears throat> get uh picked up by some of these like podcast channels that you see online um mm-hmm. i think would really support us but all that to say that those are results that will come from you know us continuing to be uh consistent and um and building this team that allows us yeah. to 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 do that yeah, and then uh, his third qu- third question was uh, tips on finding and joining a theater ensemble. Uh, and, I, you know, the only way that I know how to do this is the way I've done it, and that's just become friends with people who are doing great work and then just kind of hang around them long enough to start working with them. <laughs> that's kind of how I did it, you know? Uh, and you were at some of the very first meetings for the uh, Los Angeles Theater Ensemble, so you've got a slightly different take, I think. Well, you can start your own. <laughs> mm-hmm. You can start your own. That's definitely an option. Um, as far as finding established ones out there, you know, what's a great resource is the LA Stage Alliance. Um, yeah. And going to their website, like, even if you went to their website <clears throat> and looked back, uh, they have a blog where they where they write, they, they ask writers and critics and stuff to write about what's going on in LA theater and they interview people and and talk about shows that are that are happening and and interesting things that are happening in in LA theater. Even if you just went there, just went to that blog, you would very quickly find which theaters are well known, which theaters have good stuff going on, which theaters have stuff going on that you might like. So if you don't like doing period pieces, maybe Antaeus is not the company for you. If you want to do more Shakespeare, maybe it is. There are so many companies out there. Mm-hmm. Um, that, you know, you can find one that, that really, uh, you know, matches your speed, so to speak. Um, and also by going to a place like that, you avoid some of the, 
yeah. crap. Yeah. And I, I was, <clears throat> I, I'm th- as I'm hearing you speak, I'm thinking, like, if you do your homework on the kind of company you want to be with, and then you go to an audition or an open call, or maybe you just somehow, you know, finagle your way into a meeting with, with somebody, and you tell them how much you enjoy their work, and you can speak with authority on the work that they've done, that goes a long way, man. When you mm. Google somebody and make it apparent that you've done your homework and that you're impressed with their work and like that, that is awesome. Like, I, I don't want to say it's like manipulation or flattery or anything. It's just, it's just appreciating, uh, the person that you're meeting enough to know what their body of work is like. Mm. And man, that, that, that goes a long way. Yeah. Or so. going to see, going to see shows. Yeah, yeah, going to see the shows and, and knowing what they are. But I mean, <clears throat> Keith Ferrazzi says it in uh, Never Eat Alone, which is on my bookshelf somewhere over there. I don't see it right now. Where is it? <laughs> uh, oh, it's probably my room. <laughs> um, uh, he says, ready. he says, yeah, you got to Google everybody. Google everybody before you meet them. Just do a quick Google search and just get a feel for you know what they're up to before mm-hmm. you meet them. Just so you can just say, oh yeah, I've, I've read about such and such that you're doing. And man, that that. Is pretty endearing, you know. People love to talk about themselves. Yeah, but it, you know, like I said, it also just shows an appreciation for yeah. the person you're you're spending your time with. Yeah, check out some shows. You know, go see some go see some theater. Um, you can you can get half price tickets on LA Stage Alliance. You can get half price tickets on Gold Star. And Bitter Lemons is another good um, resource. Excuse me, another good resource for that. Like, <clears throat> Bitter for Lemons is um, LA Theater. You mean? Yeah, for LA Theater, mm-hmm. they basically just rate shows based on the uh, reviews and stuff, so you can find out what is good and maybe what's not so good right now. And yeah, you know, uh, that way you can kind of pick and choose. And then you know, they've always got cast and creatives that come out after the show that want to talk to the audience. So easy, easy peasy, easy to build yeah. relationships. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So let's roll into part one of our chat with James Dumont. Um, big hat tip to listener Dana and patron Dana Schaff, who's a sweetheart of a person and, uh, and basically facilitated us connecting with, with James, who we found out also knows Blake Robbins very well. Uh, and knows, uh, obviously he's worked with Tim Phillips as he talks about in the interview. Um, who is, you'll hear about it. He knows a few people on the podcast, so it's it's pretty cool to see the family growing. So, uh, yeah, enjoy this part one, guys, and we'll uh, catch you on the other side. AJ and I are here with uh, somebody we're, we're really excited to have on the podcast, a connection to several past guests, as we've learned, uh, James Dumont, Hello. who has been in, let's play a game, what, what has he not been in? Let's see, the movie Speed, no, nope, he was in that, uh, the show Treme, no, nope, he had a recurring role in that, uh, let's see, SWAT with Colin Farrell, no, nope, he was in that, uh, Dallas Buyers Club, The Butler, I mean, he's, he, career things are really taking off for you. So, mm-hmm. James, we're thrilled to have you here on the show. Thanks for taking the time to be here. Glad to be here. And um, let's just start at the beginning and yeah. find out um, kind of what brought you into this oh. industry. What, what was what? it that, that hooked you? And How did I become a glutton for punishment? Is that the question? <laughs> Is that the really <laughs> That's answer? one way to put it. Sure. No, I yeah. just uh, I was a kid actor. I was I mean like I uh, I vacillated between you know playing baseball and being an actor. And uh, originally from Chicago, and so uh, started out doing like commercials, local Chicago commercials, like McDonald's was local then, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I did like some print ads and commercials, and then all of a sudden, 
you know, the movies started coming to Chicago. So it was like, you know, uh, Thief and My Bodyguard were some of the early movies that were coming in Chicago. And the next thing you know, it's like Blues Brothers. Hmm. And uh, I was at that point in time, I was um, I was uh, in uh, high school and Blues Brothers came and they were like, I was part of an actor. You know, you do dance class instead of gymnastics. And they're like, oh, yeah, they want some dancers to do this little dance number in Blues Brothers. Would you come down and audition? I'm like, yeah, sure. I'll come down and audition. And so I became one of the kids dancing in the street, you know, to, uh, right. uh, to you know, to Ray Charles, you know, twisting and shaking. All the kids are dancing. So it was like, wow, this is kind of cool, you know. And he's like, well, you got this little voucher, you know. I'm like, oh, I got another voucher. I was like, I could get my head card. You know, this is like a real like a real deal. And then, uh, you know, then, uh, risky business comes to town. I was an extra in risky business. And then, uh, and how, how old were you when all this started? Oh, God, I was all high school. It had to be like, you know, like, uh, you know, I think when blues brothers was like 80. So I was, uh, 13. It was a freshman. Okay. You know, freshman wow. in high school. So it was wow. like, you know, and your parents gave, they had, you had their blessing with you this. Know, my or? dad, my dad was a photographer. So it was like, there's that kind of creative side thing, even though it was like business photography, but he did like, he was one of the creators of those, uh, old time, you know, uh, Western photos. Mm-hmm. You know, he did that sepia tone thing where you dressed up like, you know, cowboys and you know, you and your yeah. wife is the barmaid, you know, and you had, they used to be in everybody's houses all through the seventies. So he was a kind of a cool creative guy, business dude. And, uh, my mom was like kind of interior designer, Went to the Art Institute. So there was already kind of like a creative bend there. She was the one really pushing in the beginning to kind of like do print ads and things like that. So, you know, when it came to college, like, you know, I, you know, I was able to do have some money, you know, which I didn't really put to good use, but I did have cash. Um, so yeah, early on it was great, but then I switched schools. I went to Whitney Young, which was a performing arts high school. And, uh, you know, it's where Michelle Obama went, you know, so it was kind of cool because kids lived all over the city. So they had different segments of it. There was a performing arts there. And then, uh, I moved in with my mom because I'd lived with my dad up until that point. And I moved in with my mom and she was living in Evanston. So I went to Evanston Township and uh, a couple of years below me was John Cusack and my year was Jeremy Piven, who was a football player at the time. Um, so there was that other side, which was all of a sudden you're in this like little fiefdom theater community, you know, where Byrne Piven and Joyce Piven had created this Piven workshop in Chicago. So you know, Lily Taylor came out of there and Aiden Quinn. And it was like, so it was like, there was this kind of thriving, um, you know, theater improv scene kind of happening even in Evanston. And, uh, I was a city kid. So this was kind of like this interesting time, you know? So I, by the time I was in high school, uh, I finally got my SAG card when I did, uh, I did the movie class. Cause you know, Cusack was ca- cast in class. Everybody auditioned and this kid named Andrew McCarthy beat out all of us, you know, uh, cause it came down to like, you know, all the local actors had auditioned for everything. So Alan Ruck got a role and Casey Samatko and Kiyosak got a role. You know, we were all trying to, but the lead role we wanted was opposite Rob Lowe. So we all auditioned, but they put everybody in other roles. And then this kid out of New York, Andy McCarthy had, uh, you know, went to an open call and, you know, booked that movie. So that was the first kind of like speaking role that I had was the movie class, which kind of, you know, it's so cool to like. I feel like that happens a lot. There are these pockets of creativity that that kind of generate a bunch of artists all at once, all around the same time. Oh yeah, if and you, if you trace the, the people back yeah. into like the Piven Workshop, I mean, it's it, it's kind of staggering. Or even like even offshoots of that of like you know uh, you know University of Illinois, you know, or Illinois State. Some of those guys became where Steppenwolf or we, Warrenville High School is where, you know, like, you know, Blue, the Blue Brothers went. Mm. And even those theater departments had like thriving, they had full productions, <laughs> costumes, lights, I mean, sets. I mean, you know, they would go downstate. Illinois used to have, a, was very 
adamant about, you know, going downstate and competing even on the high school level. So mm. it's no surprise that there's kind of these amazing theater artists that come out of the state of Illinois when you had such incredible support for it uh, when we were all kind of young. And then there was all these offshoots. Theater companies were kind of starting Remains and, you know, Organic and, uh, you know, Steppenwolf. Like I was an intern at Steppenwolf my, by my junior year in high school. So it's like I was getting coffee, you know, but I was watching rehearsals of Bomb and Gilead. And so there's something like, you know, there's that amazing kind of, you know, that gets you the – you know, you talk about being in a community where there wasn't a lot of creative, you know, creative stuff there. It's like, wouldn't, you know, no one figures you out. But then all mm -hmm. of a sudden, if you're in an environment amongst all those other creative people, that really sparks you to go, wow, I'm not a freak. You know, like, I, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there's, yeah. this is, yeah. like, you know, you feel like a home, like a family. Yeah, you know what it reminds me of, actually, after you commented on it, Trevor? It, it reminds me of um, that Malcolm Gladwell book, uh, Outliers, where he talks about <clears throat> people like, uh, Bill Gates and Steve Jobs and and the the sort of the Silicon Valley like these su super rich people that came out of like the dot com burst and bust and everything like essentially what he's describing in the book is like how all these factors come together to create those like they don't just come out of nowhere like the environment in, within which these type of people literally grow out of like a plant that soil ha has to be so specific. And that's why they are outliers. And he talks about so many different examples in there. But I never really thought about it applying to communities like that. Because you hear about the same thing. I mean, that's Chicago. You hear about the same thing in New York. You hear about the same thing in San Francisco. You know, yeah. um, you know, Annette Benning and, and all those guys coming out of like, yeah, like De Niro and, and they, they were all these guys were roommates. Like De Niro and <laughs> yeah, exactly. There were yeah. like three of them that were living together. And yeah. They're all like these classic actors now. Totally. Yeah. Totally. And I, I just yeah. wonder. It, it makes me wonder if. Um, it's like weird. It's like, where's that happening right now? Like as we speak, or is it happening to me? Like, or is everybody who is involved with the Los Angeles theater ensemble going to someday like be famous or, you know, is it, uh, is it only going to be Australian actors from here on out? I no, don't know. No, no. <laughs> I, I, I'll speak to that because I think the thing is, is that they're, and even what's funny about those dudes, the jobs and you know, the, the gates and stuff, they were the AV squad. They were the dudes breaking like down, you know, doing projectors and stuff. They were the nerds. They were playing Dungeons and Dragons. They knew every Monty Python episode, you know what I'm saying? But even that, that those things laid, you know, laid the groundwork for, you know, incredible kind of creative thinking and out of the box ways of doing mm, things. Yeah, totally. And to speak to that, which I think is that it is one of the things that I particularly, when I'm dealing with younger actors, because I deal with a lot of younger actors while I'm working in New Orleans, where there's this, this thriving film community because of tax credits, and now there's thriving, you know, thriving TV because of tax credits in Atlanta and in, in North Carolina and South Carolina. And so, but they all do like two credits, and they all want to come to Hollywood. I'm like, wait, 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 slow down. You have to understand that, like, the, the thing at this point is everything you feel sometimes, even when you're doing that survival job, you feel like that's not going to serve you in any way. That's what, that's what, that's what you, because it's not creative and you feel like, oh, this is a waste of my time. This is not what I want to do. But you, what you get to realize is, and somebody had to teach me the lesson the hard way, which is I was catering one time and the guy was like, you know, you always show up late and your tuxedos are not, not clean and your shirt's not clean and you do half-ass work when you show up here. And he goes, let me tell you something. I've had a million actors go through this catering company over the last 20 years. And he goes, I'm about to give you the best lesson there is. If you can't do this job well, you'll never truly be successful. He said, I've watched people come through here. They half-ass it. They go on. They do a little off-Broadway one. They get an international tour. And then they're back here. 
You know why they're back here? It's because they didn't really fully commit to this thing and they didn't realize that this job gives them the money that they need to do the studying, to go see the movies, to take that, you know, that, that Alexander class to, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? To, you know what I'm saying? It, it gives them the freedom to be able to be a creative artist. So the hard part is, is that you're feeling like you're not doing what you want to do. So what's in front of you, you're like, oh, you begrudge that. And what you realize later, as I'm realizing now, you know, my late 40s is like, there was no effort that was wasted. Nothing. Things that I thought were the most trivial and stupidest things ever. I guess people's weight and their age and their month of birth at a, at a carnival and thought that was the stupidest thing. But I was like, wait a minute. I have such confidence that I can talk to anyone under any circumstances, anytime. And I can turn them from whatever their negativity is. But I mean, I had to go do a car- barker at a carnival to figure out that, wait a minute, I do, there's something about me that is uh, accessible that, that people just will talk to that, I'm, you know what I mean? And they may say things, I get weird things where people are like, hey, you see the ass on that broad? I would crack my, you know, and I'm like, wait, why did, why did you think we could bond that way <laughs> to be disparaging to a woman? You know what I mean? Like there's, yeah. what is, what made you think that I would be this, you know, uh, speak derogatory about a woman in a way? But that, but it, but it came out of like being in that Barker at a carnival, going, "Oh my God, you know, there is there's something about me that is different and unique, and people can, uh, you know, once they once I start talking and they start figuring me out, they're like, wow, you're, there's so much more to you than what you physically appear, you mm-hmm. know.' And I'm like, wow, that's an interesting kind of observation, and so. You think that that's a shitty little <laughs> carnival barker job, that it's a waste of your time. But wait a minute, you're you're talking to thousands of people, you're figuring people out, you're you're assessing things. I mean, there was something that came out of that mm-hmm. that was helpful. I did uh, another survival job was giving out movie <clears throat> passes for the, you know, for those test screenings that they did, mm-hmm. and you had to follow these perimeters and guidelines about you know we're looking for this type of audience, and and then you realize on the cards is the way they pitch these movies, it's like. Th- at the end of the day, no matter what creative thing that you do, you still have to ask the question, who is, who is this for? Meaning, who would, who's the audience for this? Because mm. I love how we're at a time where you can make a movie for nothing. You know, you get your friends together, you shoot, it's all great. And you do an incredible thing and you have a great creative experience. But then you, there's a business side to this too where you have to understand, well, who's this for? Who who would take their time to stop what they're doing and watch my movie, or or drive in a car and park and pay for dinner and <laughs> and go through all that? Like, what am I as an artist? What am I putting out there? And to who? Who is my audience? Mm. And like that was my survival job. Where I was like, you know, I was in the movie Speed, and I was still after the movie was out, I was still hawking out movie passes. You know what I mean? I, I, and people are like, oh, I thought you were in this movie. Like, you know, one big blockbuster movie. Does not pay your rent. FYI, no matter how great the residuals are years later, it's still you still have to do other things. And so, the biggest thing that I wanted, you know, thinking about working, you know, with you guys and watching reels and stuff, is to say everything you're doing all will pay off. Everything you're doing, unless you're doing something that is clearly destructive and is not and is not uh, physically to you, emotionally, intellectually, artistically, if you're doing things in that right or Maybe in the back of your mind, you're, you're sabotaging yourself. Everybody has that. That's a human thing. But it's like everything, all roads lead to your happiness and success as a creative person. But that's also just the way I look at things. 
You know, my wife is the, you know, the epitome of, uh, you know, pessimist. And I am overwhelming an optimist. The glass is not half full. It's like overflowing because I always look at, I take in every single thing, realizing that each thing does help and serve towards the greater dreams and desires. Hmm. And once you kind of figure that out, then it's like, then you're much happier and you're more resilient and the things that you do, you don't feel like you're treading water. You know, mm. every play that you read, every time you go see a play, every time you see a movie, every time you hear music, you know, all those things kind of feed you. You just don't know when it feeds you. And what I'm here to say is, you know, 25 years later, things that I thought were arbitrary and a waste of my time. And I was arrogant and thinks that, you know, talent, you know, Trump's all, uh, you know, I'm realizing that, that there was a lot of great things that I learned from each of those little jobs or little situations. Did you have that, that mindset when you were in that moment, when you're in those trenches, so to speak? Did sometimes, you think- sometimes I did, you yeah. know, like the other thing too, is I'm also a, a Buddhist of 25 years. And oh. so I, so I fundamentally believe and understand and live that, that, that my life is governed by cause and effect. That there's positive and negative causes, some of which I perpetrate on myself, some of which I'm subjected to by the environment. But at the end of the day, you know, the kind of causes that I make (laughs) will have effects, either short term or long. Hmm. So sometimes in the midst of the creative process or the obstacles and things that I'm facing, I have to stop and say, wait a minute, things are not working or they're not going the way I want. Well, why is that? What kind of causes am I making? What are the, what kind of thoughts, words, and actions am I doing on a daily basis that are moving me either forward or backward? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, to be able to check in with yourself periodically, or sometimes a situation or a job or something, you know, blows it all in your face. I mean, I had something happen where it was like I miscommunicated to somebody, and it was like next thing you know, the person was like, you know what? I want to make sure this person never works on this TV show again. Wow! And it was a very little thing. And my intentions were pure and simple, but I found myself not working at that particular, even that studio for probably two, three years. And it was a very, very little subtle thing of a miscommunication. And I went into it totally innocently, but the repercussions of it were really hard to face. But it made me realize now that now in a position where I'm going places and I'm on red carpets and I'm having conversations, it's like I have to I'm, – I'm more careful and cognizant mm. of uh, how what I might say or do might – could offend somebody or hurt someone's feelings or they may take it the wrong way. Right, you know? right. So it's, it's – uh, you know, sometimes you got to learn that lesson the hard way. You know, I mean that's not going to happen again. You know, there's that fear that it may, but it's not going to happen again. Right. Well, but it was a, it was an interesting lesson, mm-hmm. and uh, and then I ended up working with that person years later, but never face to face. So it was like that. You know, I knew what she you know, like. We both had this little secret. You know, it was very did interesting. Ever, did it ever get out in the open? No, no. no so you never it, like. No, my manager that, and I. Still... It's a conversation that my manager and I kind of have. I've been with my same manager for 19 years. Wow. I've been married 19 years. My second wife, I call. Her. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, he's my career wife. Uh-huh. <laughs> but yeah, we had that conversation of like you know because now I'm on these carpets. I'm like oh, I'm really getting very good at 
and facile at, at, at quick sound bites of information without plugging, you know, saying, you know, just interesting things. Mm. Um, and sometimes people are ignoring me and then all of a sudden they hear, overhear my conversation somewhere else. And they're like, oh, no, 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 I want to talk. I, you know, my publicist is like, Yo, oh, they want to talk to you. Now. Oh, you want to talk to me now? Mm-hmm. Now the Jennifer Gardner, you know, on the red carpet said that her favorite scene is the scene between myself and Jared Leto on Dallas. You're like, oh, now you want to talk to me. Mm. But it's very interesting how, um, you know, some of those lessons you, in the midst of it, you said in the midst of, are you realizing that this is something, you know? Yeah. 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 yeah one, one of the things I've read in many a self-help book is that one of the hallmarks of creative or sorry, successful people is that they all kind of believe on some level that everything that happens to them, good or bad, positive, or negative is somehow grooming them for their future success. Yeah. That the, everything they see is like the universe almost conspiring to push them closer to whatever this thing is that they've got going on in their life. And it that's sounds right. like that's almost like what you were it's exactly as well. Like, and I think, you know, you don't have to be, you know, a Bill Gates to be thinking that way. Mm-hmm. You could be anybody. That's just a really powerful stance to take. Yeah. It, because it, that way it, everything's a lesson. Yeah, everything's well, feedback. Well, that, that, that is, yeah. that is a good way. And, and the other thing is I, I subscribe to the idea that it, that it's, it's, it's an energy and force that's already within the universe. I mean, gravity is here. You can say you have deep faith and you understand the, the fundamentals of gravity. Well, truth is you step out that window, you will fall. I don't care how deep your faith is. I don't have, you know what I mean? There's a raw reality to the way the universe works as well. Mm. And so once you start to realize that, now mind you, it's not, it's not as, um, it's not all positive. <laughs> you know, you, 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 you end up facing, you know, if you just run, you get natural wind resistance. So the fact that you're moving towards your goals, you should be getting some obstacles. It, the question is, how do you really kind of go about dealing with those particular obstacles? You know, mm. are those, are they fuel for your success? You know, is your, is, is revenge part of your, you know, deep, you know, success is part of your revenge. You know what I mean? Mm. Maybe that's part of it. You know, maybe it's not being picked at baseball. Like they, these little things that kind of find ways, you know, in the course of your life. Yeah. But the reality is, is definitely, I always, I've always felt that there were, sometimes there's visions of things where I see things like, Oh, you know, that's where I should be going or I should be doing those things. And then lo and behold, there I, I find myself in the midst of it, almost like it's a beyond a kind of a, you know, a intuition or a psychic thing. It's like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing, or this wow. is the way my career or life is supposed to be unfolding. There was a time where I had this meeting with this agent in New York, my wife and I joke about it all the time. And the woman, she's like, so... So I see you as a kind of like, you know, like here, because when my, my hair was just starting to thin out, I was like 26 and it was just starting to be thin and I was like freaking out. And she goes, you know, around here, you know, 18 to 25, but up here kind of thin. And I see you as a kind of like a, a funny kind of nebbishy kind of, uh, you know, just kind of just every guy, you know what I mean? But when you get to be 40, you're going to work all the time. And I'm like, I'm 26 years old. You know what I mean? <laughs> not what I wanted I'm, to hear. I'm balding in 26. You're t- telling me things are going to kick out. You're not going to kick out for another 15 years or so. And I'm like, well, that's funny because I see you as a kind of like a, kind of like a, a lesbian, kind of like bitter, <laughs> been, been beaten down by men all the time, act out on actors because you have no sense of yourself and you have little self-esteem and you know what I mean? That's what, I see that. Right. You know, that's what I'm seeing. You're seeing this thing, you know, mm-hmm. I was just so like, I couldn't believe she was telling me this and here I am, 
you know, it, 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 things are really kind of going, you know, exactly mm-hmm. as so as crazy as she might have been. It kind of played out like that. It just kind of played yeah. out like that. But in that, you know, in that time period, that was not like, well, now I'm just going to screw off for the next, you know, 15 years. That became like the way I kind of always have done things, and now I have to look things. Now I have to look things at a little different perspective, which is I'll go mm-hmm. back to my favorite, the three stages of the actor's career. Yeah, uh, this uh, is gold. This is my yeah. this is my David Mamet. This is my tribute to David Mamet. Which someday, sir, we will work together. Uh, we will fucking work together. He, he does listen to this podcast. Someday, sir, he's like, I listen, David, if you're hey, out there. Hey, fucking David, here's what here, you know? Uh, my life, Jim, and the way I live it. You know what that line means. So, uh, American Buffalo. I did American Buffalo in New York with a guy named Jude Chicalella, who was on 24. Super, super actor. And was also in David Mamet's movie. And uh, so he was Donnie. You know, Donnie is the kind of, you know, he's the, he's the, you know, he's the guy, he's the guy that sits at the table. He's the mediator. He's like the judge of everything. He's the arbitrator. He's the, you know, he's got his hands up, but he doesn't move from his seat. He sits there the whole time. You know what I mean? He's just present and there all the time. And then there's Teach. Teach is like, he's got an ax to grind. He's, you know, he's got, he's got dreams and aspirations. Things didn't quite work out the way he wants. He's a little bitter, but he's always looking for that next thing, that fix, you know, but he's not where he kind of wants to be. Mm. And then there's Bobby. Bobby is like, Bobby's a heroin addict. At the end of the day, he will do anything he needs to do to get where he needs to go. And it, and, it, and he's and he's simple and pure and innocent, but he'll do what, he, you know, he, he's got to fix. He's got to fix the fix. So for me, I've always looked at the actor's life as those three stages of American Buffalo, which is, you know, early on I did Bobby, you know, where I was like, I would show up to the opening of an envelope. No joke. I literally would do readings of plays Three, four nights a week. Playwrights Horizons, uh, Double Image, Ensemble Studio Theater, which is my theater company. of you know, been around for 40 years, and I've been a member for like 25. So it's like – but I literally – I cleaned toilets. I, I did stage managing. I was a reader for auditions. I mean it was like I did everything I possibly could, and it was out three, four nights a week doing readings of new plays, going to playwright things, doing stuff off Broadway, working for free, catering. I was DJing. I mean, like I did everything, student films where I'd go down to Brooklyn and like I'm changing in a bathroom of a pizzeria. You know what I mean? Like that's my, that's my trailer, mm. you know? And so I think that, you know, I, I use that as like the, the Bobby stage of an actor's career is that, is that, you're, is that you should jump on everything. Get out, all, all the experience that you possibly can. Do every student film you can. They're all not going to pan out. Some of them may never see the light of day and the scenes will be terrible and you can't use them for your reel. And like, what did I do? What a waste of time. And you're, you're stalking a director for years to get your copy of your scene. Sound familiar? So it's like, but then out of that comes some cool, you know, NYU directors like David Dopkin, who ends up going on and do tons of stuff, and Danny Liner, dude, dude, where's my car? And you know, so some of those guys become like huge, huge directors, you know, A-list directors. So you never know where that's kind of coming from. So I think the time is now where you got all this technology, you got all this creative thing, you got the internet, you can throw things up on YouTube. It's like. What's the what's the holdup? What's your what could you possibly not be doing? How can you not be creating all the time? Yeah, that's just my feeling. It's it the cost is not there. You got people around you create creative communities where you can create peace. Mark your own territory, man. Don't wait to, for the business to validate. You know, you create your own. 
You know, that was that's what we did. That's what those playwrights did. Those early playwrights that I read their plays were John Patrick Shanley. Really? Yeah, early play. I did one of his one acts. John wow. Patrick Shanley, wow. uh, uh, Richard Greenberg, uh, um, the guys that uh, uh, Will Will Sheffer, who created Big Love. I mean, you know, each of these playwrights now are like A list TV directors and showrunners. Wow. They, that's what they are. They're, 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 because their early years was like creating one act, you know, 10 minute plays, 20 minute plays, two characters in a situation. It's like they're, they're, you know, primed for TV, primed for film. So yeah. it's like, had I not been within those theater communities and those things, I mean, we used to, and Ensemble Studio Theater, the way they work is once you're a member of the company, every year they have this thing called Oktoberfest where you initiate a project. So that means you go out and you find a play and you find a director and you find a cast member. Wait a minute. Isn't that producing? And you produce your own thing and you find your own piece. And one of the great experiences was working on American Buffalo that this guy named Frank Girardu who played Donnie and uh, uh, no, he played Teach and then uh, Jude Chickalella played uh, played. Um, Donnie and I played Bobby. And so it was like, that was one of the things that they wanted to do with, you know, we found, you know, we worked on the play. We found the one little section of it and we just did it. We just put up and did it. And it hmm. was an incredible experience to realize, oh my God, you know, so then it was like, oh, well, if I can, if we could do this, I could just go find plays. I could find projects for me. Is anything different? Yeah. <laughs> Nothing's yeah, changed. Right. You know what I'm saying? Except now the whole, the whole internet is your, uh, is your audience. That's right. You can create yeah. and build an audience. Yeah. Now at yeah. the end of the day though, I still think quality is king. And I think sometimes yeah. you are better served to really like one of the things about my theater company is they spend so much time developing. They, they don't just throw productions out for the sake of productions. They do, they do, you know, three a year, two a year, as opposed to other theater based or actor based companies that are throwing stuff up all the time because they want to work. And I got that. But wait for a little bit. Work that yeah. play. Develop it more. Really fine-tune it so when you do put it out there, boy, it's got so much more legs. You can extend it. You can run it. So, that, you know, playwright-based theaters are where I come from. Mm. And at the end of the day, you also – your job is you're, you're serving the play as opposed to actor-based companies where you're serving the – the actors have to work. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the quality of the writing or, or the – uh, putting it up prematurely sometimes can happen, and it doesn't really lead to that, you know, the kind of things you're looking for. Or it could be better. Who knows? Mm. But I just go, I come from the playwright-based theater where also you don't change words, and you, you know, you're there to serve them. You're just a right. pawn, you know, and it's true. It's an actor's medium, but the reality is, is like, you really had to respect the writer's words, yeah. Shanley and those guys. You know, it's like you, and so you, there was something about, them spending more time on developing it before they put it up, before it ever led, or before they even sent it somewhere. I mean, Mamet has this story about how he has a room, literally the size of here, that's his writing room. And it's, he says, I'm not supposed to tell you this, but the truth is it's stacked with scripts. It's stacked with scripts, he said. I, I went to a thing where he was talking, and he goes, I hate to say this in front of studio executives, but the truth is I have everything here. I have all on, every wall in my place is filled with ideas, half written stories, half things. And he goes, and I wait and I'll go back and tool something. And if somebody will have a meeting with somebody, he goes, Oh, you pull that off the wall. Wow. But he also creatively sits down every single day disciplines and it's a full-time job him, him writing. But what's interesting about that story is that he never lets it leave that room until it's really, really ready. Or he just needs to pay the rent that month. 
Right. <laughs> you know, he just sells it and, you know, who do, right. here's what goes with it. You know, every, yeah. we're all, you know, we're in a business. But there was something about not really waiting till it's really, really ready, ready before yeah. you put it out there. Yeah. And I think that's the same thing with these, with all the outlets that you have now is the ability to be able to create these projects. Great. But, you know, make sure that the quality is so good because that's always the, it's always hard. It's like going to a friend's play and you're like, yeah, mm-hmm. hey, you did it. Yeah. You were great. Your yeah. costume was um, great. Like you the lights, who did that there. set? Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? You're like, yeah, the lighting was or like somebody emails you, hey, I just did the short film. You're like, all right, well, you did it, man. Congratulations. Yeah, you yeah. did. You did it. <laughs> so that's a, you know, there's there's that hard that that hard moment. Yeah. So it's, sometimes it's okay to let things kind of sit and ruminate for a while, mm-hmm. and really wait and and bounce it off some people that you really kind of respect before you kind of throw it out there in the mass kind of public. Yeah. There's that there's that really fine line because YouTube I, YouTube is great for that kind of thing, but it's also in many ways kind of a junkyard. Oh crap. yeah, and they'll come at you. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, and, and like, you know oh, people people yeah. can hide behind anonymous internet comments yeah, exactly. and just base you. So you got to have a thick skin. But also, I think people put stuff up just to say I'm making stuff. But man, if you could just like you said, let it incubate and let it kind of grow its own its own I don't know body, I guess, and then put it out there with the best that you know at that moment. That's right. You're still it's you're still going to look back on it one day and say that was crap. Right, but at because that you, moment, because at you've least, grown from it, yeah. At least you point, knew the right. sound quality was great. You know, you knew that you were using the best camera, and you had the best editing that you that you knew at the time. You, yeah. you just that was what you knew at the time. That's right. And you can't ever regret that. Yeah. But if you're just putting up to get something up and saying, "Hey, I'm doing something," let me tell my cast and director friends, whatever. Then, then you're gonna. I don't know. You might start embarrassing yourself. You know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, then yeah. you're really not. Then you're not. Then what's it really for? Then what do you you know? Again, right, it goes right. back to that thing about marketing. It's just like you know, who's this for? You know, who's gonna? Is this interesting to anybody but me? That it just becomes you know narcissistic. You know, photographing right. every moment of your life, every meal that you've ever had, and <laughs> and like you know, it's, this is important. You know, people are, <laughs> people people have eleven likes on that. I'm like, that doesn't necessarily make it great. You know, right. I've tried yeah. to explain to my eleven year old. I was like, you know, just because uh, just because it's popular doesn't mean it's good. And that's mm. a hard. That's a, that's a little one, but it's a. It, there's a lot to that. That's that's so true though, because I think that's a, that's popularity, a lesson. Popularity, you know, they go, you know, you know. Yeah, we're being. Kardashian, you know, Kim Kardashian is popular. But yeah, that, that's exactly. a lesson. What has she ever really accomplished us. and done at all? Yeah, yeah, really. Yeah, if you yeah. think about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I kind of like you know popular. That's that's great, and we think that that's you know. And I've, you know, she's a tween, so she, you know, she's gravitating towards what's, you know, there's the YouTubers, and she's explaining to me who these people are, and I'm like, that's great. Mm-hmm. That's not very good, <laughs> you know. <laughs> like I know it's right. got two million hits. I got that. There's too many, you know. But you're like, it's a junkyard. It's just because, oh yeah. It's Sometimes just, people watch it because it's too a, many it's people a walk, side, It's a circus sideshow. Well, that's what it is. It's like an accident. It's like, yeah. oh yeah, did you see that car accident? Wow, man. Yeah, yeah. And that's why I, get- I send it to like three people. Like, see that guy <laughs> right, <laughs> you know right, right, right. So they send three people. Yeah, exactly. Three people, so they're, they're, yeah, is it popular? But does it is 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 it a mark of quality? Yeah, that's true. That's something that the internet is teaching us. I think it's hard to cut you off, dude. Um. That I remember reading an, an article about the YouTube or the Facebook engineers and mm-hmm. how they're constantly looking at the website and basically how can we create I forget the name but the release of that hormone or that endorphin in your brain that that, ha- that releases when you get validation from something it's called narcissism 
What's that? It's called narcissism. Right, but the, the actual... <laughs> yeah. But the actual... You know, because you can really buy into your whole that you are all this. Yeah, by, yeah. Between Twitter and all these things, you're buying like, oh my God, I'm really... You know, my, my, my IMDB number is up like 300, <laughs> you know, and, and I got this, you know, I got, I got now 2,000 Twitter followers, yeah. you know, and you're, and you, and this is, this is, this is, this, this is what it is, you know, and, and, I, and I'm a victim as anybody else. I'll Google myself just like everybody else will. Anybody who's saying you don't Google yourself, you're a liar. You're a liar, <laughs> especially if you're an actor, you know, so, but the, but the, you, how far do you buy into it? Yeah. At the end of the day, how far do you really kind of go to like, you know, you look at your rent and you do your taxes at the end of the year and you kind of go, you know, there's kind of a raw reality. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? These are my expenses. This is my income. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, and you're right. like, hmm, you know? Because it's always like my accountant's always the guy to like keep it real. <laughs> I was like, man, amazing year. You know, Dallas Bars Club and Butler. He's like, yeah. Yeah, so I saw these expenses and then <laughs> there's this income thing and like, wow, that's a lot of travel. And then mm-hmm. I'm looking at this, you know. He's like, didn't you, didn't didn't you shoot that movie a year ago? Because there's these expenses that are here. All right, everyone. Hello again. It's us. We really just dove right into it. You know, we talked a little bit about how how he got started, and then all of a sudden it got really deep, like mm-hmm. really suddenly, and it, it just took off from there. This is one of the those conversations we have in the podcast. It just has momentum all the way through to the end. Yes. And James is so passionate and knowledgeable and experienced and um, alive with with uh, yeah. this work. It was just really cool. And excited about it. Like, yeah. I never experienced him as being... Um, like arrogant <clears throat> you know what i mean like it wasn't about that it was like he was just so like excited like to talk about what he loves to do yeah, I mean, yeah. that's 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 awesome and inspiring too so thanks james uh look forward to uh you know uh, part two uh coming at you guys next week for sure uh what's your pick of the week dude my pick of the week um okay i have to admit that I'm stealing this from one of our listeners, kind of. So Christopher Gray, who we're going to uh, say gave us our listener pick of the week this week, uh, sent us a link saying like, hey, maybe people have already seen this, but I really like it. And it was a link to a video on um, what's called the Virtual Channel Network. This link was specific and was actually a year old. Um, and you could tell not only by the shows that they were talking about, but also, um, I think it was even dated like somewhere on the website that it was from, uh, last pilot season, but it was a bunch of casting associates and assistants talking about ways in which an actor can a get ready for pilot season and b um, present themselves well as an actor, like not be a crazy person, basically not be a whacker, <clears throat> not be a whacker. Yeah. Yes. Um, Great video. It's like an hour and 20 minutes long, and I watched all of it. Super uh, informal, fun, great information, just kind of a cool thing. And also um, connected me to some of these people who are in these offices, including... Uh, actually, I didn't get a chance to tell you this, but one of the guys that was a casting associate in this video, you and I did a web series with. Because he was what? in The the Consultant. Really? That we did a long time ago. Troy Daniel Smith. Oh, um, really? He played like the uh, the kind of like hoity-toity guy, yes. director of the yeah, behind-the-camera thing. I don't yeah, know. He was great. I sent him a message on Facebook. Haven't heard back yet, but he's uh, he's a, he's doing casting now. I, I don't know, know, I don't know if he's really acting cool. anymore. So anyway, 
Uh, my pick of the so that's our listener pick of the week. But my pick of the week is I started exploring this website, the Virtual Channel Network. And it's part of Breakdown Services, um, somehow connected with that world, Actors Access, and um, et cetera, et cetera, uh, casting about. And it's basically, they have like six channels on this website, quote-unquote channels. Um, There's one called Inside Casting. Hmm. (laughs) Hat tip, maybe they, uh, I don't know where they may have gotten that title from. Uh, There's one called uh, Premier Event, another one called Rep Central. Anyway, they're basically just uh, videos of either interviews or events or roundtables or discussions. Um, this one that uh, Christopher sent to us was actually a life raft, which is the same uh, thing yeah. where we did our 100th episode recording. Um, and it's just a bunch of awesome information. So, you know, if you are um, uh, looking for... Um, you know, a place to find some additional information or you're just looking to maybe, um, you know, you can go on there maybe do a search to see if the casting director that you're going to audition for is in there and maybe has talked about likes and dislikes or I don't know, um, whatever it is that you can use it for. It's just a really great, great resource. So I wanted to mention it on the podcast. Awesome. And we'll have a link to that on our website, virtual channel network. Uh, sweet man. My pick of the week, uh, is a book called steal like an artist by Austin Kleon. I know many of our listeners, uh, have read and and enjoyed this book. It came out maybe a little over a year ago and it kind of instantly became a classic of, and a must have in a creative person's library. Um, and it actually got me thinking there's a section there where he talks about using your hands. Um, you know, like really separating, not separating, but taking time to create analog glee and not digitally. Huh. And, uh, and I, I remember reading some sort of study a while ago, and this is to kind of, um, piggyback on our conversation from earlier about typing versus writing the morning pages Mm -hmm. that when you write something with your hands, it, you're able to access and penetrate and whatever your subconscious much more effectively because there's much more sensory feedback. You know, you you feel the paper, how hard you're pressing with the pen, how the pen's being held in your hand, so on and so forth. Like, there's a lot more uh, emotional work, whether you're conscious of it or not, that goes into the physical act of writing. Whereas when you're sitting in front of a computer and you're typing, the tactile feedback from the keyboard, it's the exact same, no matter what key you're pressing. If you type the word, rather, with, like, a lot of emotion... It's still kind of the same sound. It's the button still feels the same. The letter that you create on the screen is the exact same as the one that was, you know, the same font as the one before. Like it's, it's a very sterile experience uh, in many ways creatively. Hmm. That's not to say it's not a great solution uh, for what it is a great solution for. But uh, there are times I think where it's appropriate to use your hands. And this book, Steal Like an Artist, is full of little nuggets like that. It's a really great book. I read it in like forty-five minutes. You can just read it cover to cover. I've actually read it twice now. And I have it on my, it's, I think it's going to be permanently on my bedstand is one of those books that I just pick up and page through because it just, it's a reminder of, uh, of the scope of what we do as creative people. And I think it, there's no line between like painter and a musician and actor and writer and things like that when it comes to the act of creation. I mm-hmm. think it all comes from the same place and there's really, the process is pretty similar. 
uh, internally, no matter what. So fantastic book by getting Austin Cleon. He's got a new book coming out in March called show your work that I've already pre-ordered. I can't wait awesome. to read. Yeah. Our patron of the week this week, which is Deborah Smith. And Deborah is probably, I think our most recent, recent patron. I don't know. She's got a lot of good stuff going on. Another very, very clearly very smart person. Um, and uh, supported the podcast. So we've got a little spot in the episode notes uh, showcasing her. So make sure you guys go check her out. Anyway, so that, that about does it, I think, for episode 129, yeah? Yeah. If any of you out there are listening to this and have recently received an email from a Ryan oh, R. Yeah. Williams, Ryan R. Williams, um, you know, just approach it with some trepidation. What's the, what was the subject line? Uh, casting director referred you or something to that something effect. To that effect. Yeah. So that'll be the subject line. Um, it'll come from a guy named Ryan R. Williams about a class that he does called Act Club. Um, we've been, uh, we've been doing some, uh, oh God. the names doing- that people come up with. It's just <clears throat> funny. Like, I think every possible like version of like actor group that you could think is of taken. Is, is taken now at this point. Yeah. So for episode 129, um, you guys know how to get in touch with us, support us. We're all over the internet. Start at InsideActingPodcast.com. Shoot us an email at InsideActingPodcast at gmail.com. Leave us a comment on the website. Call us. Leave us a voicemail like Nathaniel did. 213-2-ACTORS. That's 213-222-8677. We're on Twitters and on Facebooks and on iTuneses and on Actorateds. And on PayPals. And on PayPals. (laughs) Where you can donate to the podcast and uh, support us in, in, in keeping this thing. Uh, up and running keep the wheels on this bus going round and round and round um and yeah. you can do that by uh, a one-time donation or by becoming a patron and then you too may become a patron of the week uh just like deborah that's right and uh don't forget that uh, we have an, uh, an email newsletter we've been sending that out every week with uh our thoughts for the week as well as uh, some interesting links and things like that so it's free it's just another way we try to add value to the the whole you know inside acting community thing. So go ahead and subscribe to that if you'd like. So for our technical producer Cesar Gamino, for our production coordinator Jen Levin, I'm your co-host Trevor Algat. I'm AJ Meyer. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, it's free. Did you know it's free? <laughs> Is it free? It's free. I think it might be free. This episode of Inside Acting has been brought to you in part by Rehearsal Two, the app for actors. Want to learn your lines fast? Be off book for auditions? Explore your characters and make stronger choices? There's an app for that. Rehearsal 2. Download it now at rehearsaltheapp.com download. That's rehearsaltheapp.com download.